from the former convent of the Good Shepherd overlooking Inwood Hill Park in New York City. Welcome to Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where you meet the musicians, writers, filmmakers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home what we affectionately call Upstate Manhattan. I'm your host, Aaron Sims, and today we welcome Frank Rapkowitz on this very special edition of Live and Local. It's our podcast dedicated to showcasing the musicians of Upper Manhattan. We talk with them about what they do, and best of all, listen to them perform live at our favorite local venues. Frank Rapkowitz is a musician born and raised in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. He has been playing music, guitar, bass, and piano for 50 years. He has worked with the likes of Dion of the Belmonts, Chuck Berry, James Brown, and many others. He comes from a broadcast engineering background, has worked for Sony, NBC, CNN, and Lifetime Television. He currently works in higher education and lives with his wife in Washington Heights. We are thrilled to have him play for you live today. Ladies and gentlemen, Frank Rapkowitz.
Frank, that was awesome. Thank you so much for being here today. It's great to see you. Thanks for having me, Aaron. You betcha. Um, so can you tell us, what did you just play for us? Uh, it was three songs of my own penning. I <laughs> uh, wrote them quite a number of years ago, actually. Uh, I've been into writing for vocals lately, but back then I was just entertaining off the guitar. So uh, the first song, song you heard was um, A Minor for Less, which is a song I wrote for Les Paul. I had the pleasure of meeting Les Paul at dinner. Um, had dinner with him, actually. Uh, the second song was one I wrote for my wife. It's titled ZDL, her initials, Love You. Um, and the last song was a number called Getaway that very I wrote cool. a couple of years ago. Very cool. All very different feels. Thank you. You know, you have a nice spectrum. You know, it's, uh, um, I, I love, uh, well, first off, you got a real sense of tempo in your music too. Like it moves. Like your your music, all three songs, you know, really move. Thank you. Uh, and I think it. Uh, when you're writing, like, what do you feel? Like, do you do you start with a lick and a melody, or like how? Like, what, what's like what, what gets in your craw? And what well, kind of late, lately it's been uh, some kind of beat coming to me. Uh, I actually see music. I see my hands on the guitar doing something different. I'll see it during the day, or I'll put something to a beat, but usually it's that way. Uh, but I have had this uh, this theory of every time I pick up a guitar, I look at a chord chart and pick out a new chord, and strum it once, and then I'll hear something from that and take away. Lately, I've been writing for vocals more so, so what you heard was pretty much instrumentals. Yeah, right, right. But I have always said that music is a mood. So, you know, it's how you wake up. I listen to everything, mm -hmm. so I try to play everything. Very cool. Very cool. Well, um, what was your entry point into music? Um, let's see. I was 12 years old. They had, like, a show and tell in the seventh grade. And I remember Thomas Boudreau and James Conway, Patrick Conway, I'm sorry, they came in with a guitar and drums. And who knows, maybe at the time they weren't that great. <laughs> Did they have a roadie crew bringing but in it all was, this stuff? Uh, yeah, we were all neighborhood kids at <laughs> yeah. St. Anthony's of Padua in Greenpoint, Brooklyn. And they came in and just made noise, yeah. you know, and I was just taken away. And so right after that, uh, I remember my cousin Steve, who lived downstairs from us in the building in Brooklyn, uh, I'd hear him tinkering on his guitar. And back then I was a Boy Scout, and he was he's 10 years older than I, and he wanted to go camping, and I had a sleeping bag. And he said, I'll trade you my guitar for a sleeping bag. And he showed me pictures of Matchstick Men by Status Quo, which is a 60s song. And um, from there I took it away, came back about two weeks later showing him stuff. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, and so you, so you had so, so is anybody else in your family playing or just you at this point? Like, uh, I have kid? nieces and nephews yeah. that I've taught guitar to, gotcha. um, but nobody but had to be like your no, parents didn't play. No, like that. no, I have had some. You know, my my grandfather was a bronze sculptor. He actually made the plaques on the Kosciuszko Bridge and the Pulaski Bridge, the Greenpoint Avenue Bridge. Wow. Uh, so he was a bronze sculptor. So we have some artist in the family but. gotcha so they kind of encourage you to keep playing right yeah That's well cool. <laughs> as long as you had a job uh, yeah if, no well so long as i did good in school because I've, right. I've come home to when i was a teenager my guitar in the garbage <laughs> outside <laughs> outside the building and i'd bring it up and you know later on my mother used to come to my gigs and i'd see her in the audience going that's my son <laughs> he was good because of me because i made him <laughs> right. his good grades me. 
<laughs> Couldn't play it wasn't for me. I forced I forced him into it. <laughs> well, a little tough love never hurts sometimes, <laughs> That's right? right? Um, so was there a, so was there a musical mentor to you by any chance? Like anybody you like looked to that you actually like helped you out a lot? Sure. Um, I like everybody. I was learning by ear for a while. I was the first one on my street to know how to tune a guitar. I had about three or four friends on my block. This is back in the day when there'd be like twenty or thirty kids on the same block sure. that would actually come out to play. Now you don't see kids on the street anymore. Uh, but I was the first one to learn how to tune a guitar, so people would bring that to me. I learned by ear for about two years, maybe three years, and uh, then I knew I wanted to get a little further into it, and I looked in the Village Voice, as we spoke of earlier, and picked out a guitar instructor named John Berenzi, um, and my life changed. I took lessons from John for seven years, ended up doing road work for him, and that just took off from there. He taught me a new way to approach guitar from outside the box. And that's your like, I can do this for my life. This is what I want to do, right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I did, like, I'd sit in the room learning lessons at his 29th Street and 8th Avenue, a little studio apartment in Manhattan. And he'd be blowing me away with all these great riffs. And he was a studio musician. He played with everybody, sight reading and the whole bit. And a lot of times I'd get discouraged and say, if this guy's not famous, <laughs> you know, right. what am I doing? What am I doing here? But he put me to it and said, listen, you know, he played what I called spider music, like kind of like Jaco Pistorius weather report, mm -hmm. you know, where the drummer follows every lick of the guitar player. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's crazy. I called it spider music. But he changed my life forever. He, he gave me the insight to really study. Wow. That's awesome. And uh, so when was your first gig after you got, like, when did you feel confident to go, I'm done studying, I'm going to play? Um, well, my first, well, I, was, I had uh, a couple of bands with cats from my neighborhood. Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, beyond the growing cats. Up. Beyond yeah. the cats. Oh, though. beyond the cats, it all fell into place. Uh, I used to go down, uh, my cousin, again, who started me with guitar, him and his wife moved to Atlanta, Georgia. And uh, I used to go down there every summer for like, four weeks, five weeks, yeah. and stay down there. And it would be every summer. And uh, one summer I was down there, and he lined me up with a friend of his, this guy Rick. And he started, this guy Rick would come over like twice a week because they'd hang out back in the 70s, people hanging out, hanging out. Yeah. And um, he would show me things on guitar, and it started getting developed into a, a lot of uh, movements and solid, you know, structured tunes. And so, like, after, like, a couple of years of that, like, the guy would be in the neighborhood, you know, and he would always come by when I was there because he knew I was, you know, catching on to something. Uh, but I just happened to be in the right place at the right time because he called up one time and said, I just got put in the hospital with appendicitis and it's about to explode. I need you to go see Dion from Dion and the Belmonts. I said, I'm 17 years old. What do, what do, I don't know any of that stuff. He says, I've been teaching you those songs. I said, that's what you've been teaching me? He says, yeah, you know it all. So I walked in, and Dion was there. I'm from Brooklyn. He was from the Bronx. He's like, oh, okay. <laughs> so it was nothing big. I just covered like three gigs, but it was like the dream of a lifetime. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And... Um, yeah, from there, you know, it, what's great is that my guitar instructor made sure that I didn't get a big head about it. Right. And grounded me about wow. the whole thing. I mean, so. that was, you can be right next question. It's like, 
you worked with Deanna Belmont, Chuck Berry, and James Brown. That's a resume worth repeating without <laughs> getting too big about it. We'll, we'll, but at the same time, is that you can be proud about it. So we're reflecting on that time. I mean, those, those experiences. What's crazy is, you yeah. know, and I want to give a shout out to uh, Ken, who I just met, your sound engineer yeah. and engineer. Um, you know, we come from the same era, and it's just great talking to somebody that understood that you could go into a newspaper back then mm-hmm. and see an undescript ad for, a, a, you know, a rehearsal or an audition, and you don't, they don't put a name there, so you just go with your, your guitar, and I walk in, and there's Chuck Berry's manager, and who doesn't know 12 Bar Blues of Chuck Berry? I've even uh, auditioned for the Pretenders. I didn't know who they were at the time. I remember Chrissy Hine and uh, and Chamberlain, the drummer, was a, at a loft in. Uh, they're from Ohio. They're from yeah, middle yeah. Of Ohio. Yeah. So there was a loft in Dumbo, and I went there, and I was playing just a little bit different than they liked. But that was just case in point that yeah. you would walk into something. Uh, and then again, with Chuck Berry and uh, James, it was just those little fill-ins. Uh, Chuck Berry operated, well, I should say James operated the same way Chuck Berry did, where their managers were sticklers, and they were just there to make money. And so you'd come to the gig and have to put everything together, and Chuck would just come off it out of his car, his manager carrying in his amp and his ES-335, He'd come in and plug in. They'd pay you after the gig, and you'd never see Chuck again. And it was the same thing with James. And unfortunately, when I worked with James, it was before uh, Living in America came out. So I, I don't mean to uh, you know, put down uh, what I got into there, but these were two guys that were in like kind of like has-been mode. Mm-hmm. It's kind of scary to say that about these two icons. Right. But they were another piece of the music puzzle that got screwed by their record companies. Yeah. And, they, and you see it to this day where uh, bands have to go on tour to make actual money. Yeah. Because their record company, you know, when they were, I guess, either getting high or not paying attention, they signed their lives away. Right. Like I know the manager of um, the Village People. And I know the Indian from the village people. Hey, Philip. Um, and they signed their lives away because they were high as kites when they were brought the paperwork. And they lost the name village people and couldn't make money off of it. But these, this is my opportunity was getting in at that time. You know, and it was a, never forget it. Yeah, but you, but then you could see that and going, okay, I'm not going to do that. Yeah. <laughs> right. It's like I don't like I'm totally. not going to be that guy, and I'm not going to have that management, and I'm not going to go that direction. And then to see like the lifestyle happening, I'm yeah. very proud to still be here. Well, I was about to say, it's like you know, it's hard to believe you've had a career that spans 50 years when you're so young. I mean, I mean, I mean, even so, and I mentioned earlier you have an engineering background, so I can only assume you have mad IT and computer skills, uh, but. Uh, you know, it leads me to ask too. It's like you know, what have you learned over the, over these fifty years um, <laughs> that has helped you? Um, and also, um, part two question that can put us in a different direction is that you know, how has your musical taste evolved with the times? Oh, oh, so the first part of what have I learned is that it's so true that hard work and perseverance, not being lazy, is key. Um, you know, I went through my trials and tribulations 
and uh, was lazy as a lump, sat on the couch, you know, uh, looking out the window, opening the blinds and saying, oh, no jobs out there today, you know, and then closing the blinds. Um, so I've learned that hard work and perseverance and, you know, just going for it and not being lazy helps. Um, the, the other part is, um, I've sculpted my music. I am looking for a singer. Uh, I do sing for the fact of writing the tune. Uh, when I do record my music at home, I always start with an intro and then I do the basic, you know, four for a verse and four for a chorus, a little bridge in the middle. Two, uh, two fours at the end for the chorus to fade out. So I now write towards, uh, you know, structured for lyrics. Mm -hmm. you know? So I've learned a lot about, you know, toning down my songs and not being the spotlight of the song, but having the song be the spotlight. Well, consider me your uh, your 2023 version of the Village Voice. <laughs> uh, could you give me a classified ad for your singer right now? Oh sure. Um, we looking for a big for, guy. for uh, well, I'd love a, a singer that is also a songwriter, somebody that understands music. Um, I'm more along the pop, rock, blues. I play a lot of funk too, so the person has to have soul. Um, I don't want to throw a gender on it, but for some reason, I keep floating towards a female vocalist. Uh, because a lot of my songs, I've been told, have uh, a, a beautiful touch to them, like a pretty feel to them. Uh, but anybody that has a, a really good voice and uh, the get up and go and uh, also a little songwriting prowess. I was going to say a little bit of lyric writing maybe? Yeah, yeah, sure. Even somebody that just does poetry. All right. So if uh, you happen to be listening out there, and we do have a national international reach, uh, if you want to come work here in New York City, particularly in Inwood, Washington Heights, and write some great songs with Frank, you know where to go. Just give us a shout, all right? Please. We'll, and we'll hook you guys up. Um, so uh, so, and so, how has, how has like your, your background affected your writing now? Like, we're pop rock. And if you think about the three songs you played, too, it's like, and you mentioned like a female voice, too. It's like, I can definitely see the first song you played. It even has like a bossa nova kind of feel to it, you know? It can really move in that direction if you want to slow it down. Right, or, right. Or, I mean, adding, adding percussion or whatever, it could really change the song. But keep that feel moving, too. It's and, a good uh, ear, Aaron. You know, thank <laughs> you very much. And, uh, you know, um, and uh, you know the, the I think the third track definitely had like more of like, um, you know, you have a little more of a, I want to say almost like a Crosby, Stills, and Nash vibe to it for sure. And I could see, I could hear those harmonies. You yeah, know, being, I love harmonies. Be, but I could hear those harmonies all throughout that song, you know. Yeah, I, I'm a sucker for harmonies. Yeah. I mean, it just makes the song, it sends it over the top yeah. when so, there's beautiful harmonies. Yeah, so like some grip. So I, I agree, a lot, a lot of pop rock sensibility. And, but uh, but yeah, you hit some definite, some some dark notes there too for the, bringing the little blues out there too. So I, I appreciate it. And so uh, if you like that kind of music, folk, you know, tune in to Frank uh, and let him know you want to work with them. Uh, so you, if, say, say, say you get a vocalist. Um, so what's ahead next for you and the next 50 years here of, uh, well, of, of writing and moving forward? You know, what can we look forward to? Uh, you know, composing, maybe touring? I mean, what's, what do you I, think? I have such a backlog of songs. What helps me write is I use this pedal called the Beat Buddy. So you're able to choose from like probably 4,000 different beats. So as you said, hearing like a bossa nova or a Latin beat behind some things, I'm able to choose that. So it, it, uh, I have 
probably about I've just copywritten my 210th song. I have about 500 in the bank and everything's written for verses and chorus. And so um, I have like a good 30 put aside that are fully written with words and the whole nine yards. Um, it is home recorded on a 24 track. Some people would not be able to tell if it was or not. But of course, I'd like to put together a group and go out and play. There's nothing like playing in front of people. Well, I think it's a perfect segue. So let's hear one of those songs that you put together where you are literally the one-man band. Um, uh, so you to tell us what we're going to hear. Uh, this is a song I wrote for all those loved ones that have passed. It's called Gone But Not Forgotten. All right. So this is Frank in the studio playing all the parts. So enjoy.
said, you're a one-man band. It sounds <laughs> great. And uh, so if you want to hear more, um, where can we send people, Frank, to hear more of your tunes? Uh, you could send me an email at thisstudios207 at gmail.com. All right. So get in touch with him and... You guys can share tapes like the old days. Like Remember that? The old days. You, yes. You, you, t- you take sure. some of that. Here's some of that. You give me that. <laughs> right. Good. Deal. Well, Frank, thank you so much for being a guest. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. You bet. Uh, so, uh, thanks again to Frank for joining me on this live and local episode of Inwood Artworks On Air. It's where you meet the musicians, filmmakers, writers, theater makers, and artists of all stripes who make their home here in Upper Manhattan. If you have a moment, please show us some love right now by rating and reviewing this podcast on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us. Uh, and many thanks to Church of the Good Shepherd here for hosting us and for HeightSites.com for Uptown promotional support. You can support On Air and all of our free programming by making a tax-free donation at InwoodArtworks.nyc backslash donate or via Venmo at InwoodArtworks. Be sure to follow us on social media to keep up all that we do, which includes the Inwood Film Festival, Filmworks Al Fresco, pop art galleries, live performances, and so much more. Inwood Artworks is proud to be supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in the partnership with City Council. And Inwood Artworks programming is made possible by the New York State Council on the Arts with the support of the Office of the Governor and the New York State Legislature. From the top of Manhattan and the bottom of our hearts, thank you so much for tuning in. This is Aaron Sims for Inwood Artworks On Air.